LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. And I got arrested. I got a record. And, and so I find myself the next week standing in court while on a mission trip for my Christian college next to a senior VP for then Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew, as he stood with me and I had to plead guilty before a judge. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going well. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. Doing pretty good. You sound more like Bradley Cooper every day. Do I start? Do I look like him more? No. No. Okay. uh, Yeah. Fair enough. We're excited to talk with Brent Crow today, and uh, he's one of my pals. We do a lot of partnerships with him with LifeWay students and Student Life Camp. But Brent Crow, who is currently serving as vice president for Student Leadership University, he's the author of several books, including his latest Moments Till Midnight. And a little interesting fact, SLU has seen over 220,000 people attend its events over the past 25 years. I know it's pretty uh, pretty incredible, but this man is passionate about a lot of things, and leadership is one of them, so I'm pumped to hear what he's got for us today. Brent, how you doing, man? Glad you're here. Man, I'm doing phenomenal. Thanks for having me on, guys. You, uh, you've been fishing at all lately, or are you, you doing no. anything? I know you have like no. a monkey or something, <laughs> or like a... What? Are you kidding me? The summers are a wash. No, I will be going fishing though soon. And uh, uh, but no, I I uh, this I've, if you've been in student ministry longer than five minutes, you know that you blink. It's it goes by faster than it feels, and and a lot of chaos happened, and somebody got hurt along the way. But that's youth ministry in the summer. So. Somebody got hurt along the way. <laughs> what? So what? What's this thing on Instagram that I see? It's like a monkey, a dog with a long tail. What is what is this thing that you now have in your household? <laughs> That's right. Well, if you want to see what a kinkajou looks like, which its nickname is is a honey bear, or a little creature from South America, and uh, my daughter, um, who has gone through our programs, one of our one of our sessions at our programs that we ask is, "What would you do for the glory of God if you knew that you would not fail?" And she answered that question. Uh, animals are very close to her heart. She wanted to create a safe place for all the exotics that were mistreated and, and abused. There's a lot of those in our state of Florida because it's all the coastline. So huh. to get prepared for that one day. She's learning to care for exotic animals now. And so she's had a, a African pygmy hedgehog and he had oh, wow. a great little life. And now she has uh, <laughs> a little life. <laughs> yeah. okay. so, and what's its name? Baloo. Baloo. In, so not blue, blue, but Baloo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I've enjoyed seeing on Instagram. I would love to see more posts. It really does. It, it makes me very happy. Yes, um, Brent, tell me a little bit though. Brand new book, Moments Till Midnight. Man, tell us your heart behind that. What? Yeah. Just uh, what? What is the book? What it's about? And and why did you write it? Well, um, thank you for asking that, Josh. I, I I've always been fascinated with. The, leadership, the life and leadership of the Apostle Paul. But as you and I both know, uh, uh, and Chandler as well, that there's been a, quite a few books that have been written on uh, on Paul's life, even some on his, on his leadership. But there's not been a book that's looked at his life through the lens of pilgrimage and the notion of, of journey. And what if Paul didn't see himself the way we see him? What if 
What if, you know, we, we look at him as a theologian, we look at him as a church planner, an evangelist, an apostle, all these different things. But what if at the end of the day, Paul looked in the mirror and thought, you know what, I'm just simply a pilgrim on, on his journey, making his way home to the heaven country. And as the psalmist wrote, happy are the people whose strength is in the Lord and whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. What if at the end of the day, Paul's heart was just simply set on pilgrimage? And so if you you take that idea in mind that here's a man who's simply trying to journey well with a calling on his life, and he's in the jail at the end of his life, in this last jail that he would be held in, this dungeon in, in Rome, Italy, and let's pretend, not, I know we've got to use our, our uh, sanctified imaginations a little bit here, but let's pretend <laughs> that Paul leads one of these soldiers to Christ that's guarding him. It happened quite often. Um, but let's pretend that that soldier is worshiping and praying and studying the Bible in the catacombs and the underground church in Rome, which we knew was very, very alive and vibrant at that time in, in church history. And let's pretend that that soldier shares with Paul, hey, at lunchtime, let's say at noon, that you have 12 hours left to live. They're going to execute you at midnight. What would what would the Apostle Paul have thought about knowing that he had 12 hours left to live? And, 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 and so I, in the book, each chapter is a different hour in the day. So at one o'clock, he would have had to have thought about grace, which he wrote about more than any other topic. But it deals with, you know, maybe he thought about friendship one hour because he says at the end of Second Timothy, the last letter he ever wrote, that Luke alone is with me. Maybe he writes about failure at some point. Maybe he writes about community in the church. Maybe he writes. But, but all of these different ideas that make up our life that is the journey, that is the pilgrimage towards the heaven country. Um, I'll tell you one thing that has more to do with your podcast than my book, but one of the ideas that inspired uh, inspired me to think that way is I had the chance to get to meet uh, a legendary guy by the name of Dr. Bill Bright. And and for our listeners who don't know who that is, he founded with his wife, Miss Bonnet, an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now known as Crew. Yeah. But most historians now would tell you, especially church historians, that Dr. Bright saw as many, if not more people come to his to Christ in his ministry than anybody else, with the exception of the Apostle Paul and maybe Billy Graham. And so I had the chance to get to meet him several months before he passed away. And I had the chance to ask him quite a few questions, but one of the questions we wrestled with, and, and he let me, he like I asked him a question and he went, I think what you're trying to ask me, Brent, is what am I trying to accomplish knowing that my life is coming to an end? And I said, Dr. Bright, I'd never asked that question, and that's way too rude. He said, no, but it's a good question to ask. It's hmm. it's a leadership question. And he walked me through what his normal day looked like and, and what his goals were. And one of the things he was doing, he picked up a manuscript that was on the couch where he was sitting next to him, and he held that manuscript up to me. He said, I'm writing two books, and this is one of them. And the book that he held up to me, the manuscript, it wasn't yet a book, uh, was titled Going Home, and it was a book about dying and going home to heaven. And he never actually saw the final edits for that book. And so that idea of coming to the end of your journey and thinking about your journey through the lens of pilgrimage. And so what if we applied that to one of the greatest Christian leaders in history, and that's the Apostle Paul, 
what would he have thought about? And that's what moments till midnight is because that's our, that that's every one of our lives is that we've been set on this pilgrimage. So that's moments. Thanks till for midnight. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Brent. I know for me personally, it's really cool to hear you share that story, um, about, uh, the creator of crew, because that was a ministry that really impacted my life. So it's really cool to kind of hear just a little snippet into that. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that about your book. Now let's, let's go ahead and hop in here because I know that you do have a lot to share about your story. So let's start with the first question, question, which is this, can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years? Yeah, well, working backwards, I I presently serve as uh, what's called vice president of student leadership university which is a leadership development journey for middle and high school students. But, but all that title means is that I'm the chief intern around our shop. That's all <laughs> really means. Um, uh, we don't put a lot of credence on titles. I think uh, uh, we, we, we put a lot of emphasis on, on influence and projects and, and who the Lord allows us to serve. But, um, but prior to that, I served um, with uh, uh, um, an organization. I started off, excuse me years ago as a student pastor uh, and was in student ministry at the local church, uh, at a local church in on the panhandle of Florida for probably three, three and a half years. Then I served uh, at our North America Mission Board as just an intern for a year. Then I kind of launched off and did my own thing where I traveled and spoke and just loved that. And then I transitioned to Student Leadership University about 17 years ago where I've just spent the last 17 years and the Lord's allowed us to see some pretty amazing things. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Looking back on all that, like, was there a period that you realized you were a leader like that? It was kind of made clear that this was something that was a gift of yours or you might need to step into that God was calling you into. You know, there was, um, there was a, a moment in which I, as a student pastor and, and unfortunately I didn't see myself in a lead through a leadership lens for quite a few years. But there was a moment when I was uh, uh, trying to figure out what the Lord was saying to my heart and my mind. I was a student pastor, but I knew that I wasn't in the right seat on the bus, if you will. I knew that the Lord had something for me that I was supposed to pursue. and Maybe I'm not right in, the, in that lane yet. And, uh, uh, and so I, I reached out to several people, uh, several leaders that I respected. Some will go unnamed because... Most of them didn't call me back, but one of them did. <laughs> and uh, he, it's, it's a gentleman by the name of, of David Nasser, uh, who presently serves at Liberty University as their VP of, C, of Spiritual Development. And uh, uh, But David brought me over to his home, and we sat down and we talked. And, and he really helped me begin to think different um, about life and, and, and the le- and influence and how to steward that influence well, and that if you steward that influence well, the Lord will probably give you more influence, but, 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 but let's, let's take the little bitty amount of influence you have and lay that down at the feet of Jesus. And so I started to work through that process. And then about, you know, probably about 15 or so years ago, I wrote down in my journal, this little phrase, leadership begins at the feet of Jesus. And when you understand that leadership is devotional before it is practical. Now, let's be honest, guys, for a moment. I know we got to go to some other questions, but the whole world cares about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did my, my doctoral work in the history of leadership theory and applied theology. That's as boring as it sounds. <laughs> but, uh, but I t- so I did a PhD in this stuff. And I can tell you this, like 
all of the organizations and, and, and companies and, and right, everybody's saying, trying to answer this question when it comes to leadership. What works? How do we get productivity? How do we create something? How do we get an ROI? But for us who follow Jesus, we don't begin with the question, what works? We start in a very different place than the rest of the world. We start with not what works, but with how has God created me? Hmm. And what, what, what implications does being made in the image of God have on my understanding of influence? Therefore, leadership is devotional before it's practical. Hmm. It's theological before it's practical. It's, it's something that's built into the doctrine of man and an understanding of being made in the image of God. And so when I figured that out, that leadership begins at the feet of Jesus, um, that changed everything for me as far as thinking about life and, and influence. That's really good. So when you realized that, hey, I'm a leader and you started holding different leadership positions, and I, I think you would agree with this, Brent, but everybody makes mistakes, especially leaders, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes the blowback could be even bigger because you're leading large groups of people and there's just bigger consequences at times. And But what was one of your biggest mistakes as a leader when you were first getting started? Well, um, if I could, uh, you know, I, I'll share a very quick story. I was in college, uh, if it's okay to go back that far. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> fine. This is a pivotal moment in my life. It's there. You always start that way, and you go, "This is funny," but but there, it, I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for this story. And it and 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 it comes down to a leader who cared deeply about me and took a chance. But I asked, I applied to go to do a, do a study, kind of not on our college campus, but where you go serve in another community and get school credit. So I spent a semester working in the inner city of Denver. Uh, and we, that our school partnered with crew and we were doing this thing and we were serving the inner school system and all that fun stuff. Well, one night we went out and did a bunch of stupid things. Now I'm not going to say what those stupid things are. We were, <laughs> we were pulling a bunch of pranks and I got arrested. And when I say I got arrested, I got arrested. I got drug out of my car and oh, wow. and I got arrested. I got a record. And <laughs> And so I find myself the next week standing in court while on a mission trip for my Christian college <laughs> next to a senior VP for then Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew, as he stood with me, and I had to plead guilty before a judge. Oh, now, wow. My goodness. If, if you're my college president, this is easy, son. <laughs> <laughs> But we can't keep you, right? I mean, it's an easy decision. Like, you don't keep that guy. That guy, you want to care for him from a distance, but he shouldn't be allowed to stay a student. Right. You keep so, you keep that guy at arm's length. You know what yeah, I mean? You yeah. minister to him, but you keep him at arm's yeah, length. We'll send you a note. How about that? Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, so I, you know, I, I get on the phone with our college president, and he said, you only have two weeks left in this in this program. When you get, I want you to finish the two weeks because our college keeps our word. And then when you come home, we're going to talk. So as soon as I got back to the college, I had an appointment with uh, the, the, my college president. His name was Dr. Bill Brown. He now serves as the, with the Colson Center. He heads up their, their Colson Fellowship. 
And I walked in and sat down and Dr. Bill Brown said, smiled at me and he said, man, how you doing? I said, doc, I'm, I'm not doing too good. You know, I'm not doing too good and I'm not the smartest, but I always take my medicine. I take my consequences. So tell me, um, what, what do we need to do? I know you got a decision to make. He said, well, I do. He said, I sat down with our administration and we went around the table and everybody agreed this is an open and shut case that we should probably pray for you and, and expel you. Hmm. Um, he, and then I said, that, that makes complete sense. And he sat back, I, I swear to you, I'll never forget it. He sat back and he smiled at me and he looked at me and he said this, but you know, I'm in charge. <laughs> and he paused and he goes, every once in a while, I get to make a decision that no one agrees with. <laughs> and he leaned, he leaned across the table and he looked at me, eyeball to eyeball. And he said, Brent, I don't know why I'm doing this other than the fact that this is something the Lord spoken directly to my mind and my heart, but I'm keeping you and you will graduate from this school. And then he mm-hmm. looked at me and he said this, he said, I believe that grace is real because I've experienced it and I'm extending it to you. I believe in you. And then he said these words, and I'm the only one, but Oof. that's an, Ooh. and, uh, and so the net within the next year, my life went through a dramatic change. My father had a big impact on that. And I started following Jesus. And I wanted to commit my life to vocational ministry and, and, in the local church, sometimes they do a special service called ordination where they pray for you and commission you to, to right. go into vocational ministry. And I look up for my ordination service and in, in walking through the door was Dr. Bill Brown. First mm-hmm. person to lay his hands on me, pray for me. First person to stand and speak on my behalf. And he just looked at me and said, I was just glad I got to see this happen. We've been friends mm-hmm. now for 20 years, done ministry together for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm, ever aware every day of my life and leadership journey that I wouldn't be influencing anybody if somebody didn't look across the table and go, I'm going to believe in you, even if I'm the only one that believes in you. It's, it's such a good story. And I've, I've heard you tell it before and never quite like that. So I guess one of the follow-up questions to that, practically, how did that set you up to lead? Like, how did that set you up later for success? And how can you use that lesson for the young leaders listening today? Other than don't get, don't break the law and get arrested. You know, <laughs> that one's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think as leaders, I think we, we oftentimes miss the greatest resource in front of us, which are, are the obviously overlooked candidates for influence. Um, I was an over, listen, nobody would have bet on me. Nobody in there, right? I was not a safe bet. And, and yet there is, I think there are, there's a multiplicity of people in whatever spheres of influence we find ourselves that if, if someone will just believe in them, if, 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 a le- if leaders see what others are unwilling to see, and most people believe that, then you have the ability or at least some level of discernment to see potential in someone. Mm. And you can never go wrong by taking a chance on somebody. Right. You just I don't think you can ever go wrong by choosing to believe the best about someone's future. And so I think that that I, you know, hopefully, I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of people I've invested in, you know, they've not done well. Some of them have, you know, but there's some people I've invested in that, that and took a chance on that they did well for a little while and then they fell away. I mean, you know, there's all those different elements. But but I'm telling you, I just. I've always felt good about believing the best in people. And I think I, I, I learned in large measure uh, much of that from Dr. Bill Brown and that experience. 
So that's why you've always been friends with me, even though I don't deserve it. <laughs> He's believing the best about you. Yeah, I'm believing the best about Josh right now. <laughs> I, d- I do think, though, I think this is a great point, Brent. We can, and we've talked about this before a little bit on the podcast, is we probably all in our leadership journey have that person that we look back on that exactly as you're saying they believed in us and, and they spoke that truth into us when we're doubting ourselves, we're looking at our failures and they're saying, no, look up. Like you yeah. are more than that. Yeah. And I believe in you and you can overcome this because it's really easy when we have a failure to let it be not just a stumbling block, but the stop of our growth. So it's, we do need those people to pick us up, put us back on the track and say, I do believe in you keep going. So I love that story. Well, before we move to the next question, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start with volunteer training? Or if you do, is it hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time? Well, Ministry Grid makes it simple to train every volunteer and leader in your church. With a library of 3,500 videos and 800 courses, you will find training for every ministry area and leadership level. From volunteers to leaders to ministry directors, Ministry Grid's scope and sequence of training makes it easy to know who needs what training. And here's the best news of all. For the month of August, you can get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for your entire church for just $3.99 a year. And you are locked in every year after to this great price. So if you want to take advantage of this incredible deal, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited training for $3.99. Once again, that is ministrygrid.com slash podcast. Now back to the episode. Brent, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? The book that Seth Godin wrote, I think it's about six or seven years old now, but it's a book entitled Lynchpin. And it's a so book good. about how to become essential within really his principles there are applicable to any organizational culture. But how do you make yourself an essential team member uh, of culture? Lynchpin, I remember I read through that book and I've, I've read a few different books by by Seth Godin. And there a lot of them are about marketing or they're even permission marketing. This is marketing, those type of books. And I remember Lynchpin was different because it spoke to the individual yeah. um, and about who kind of who you are and how you can become integral to the company. So I, I, I as well really enjoyed that book. Yeah. And I've, I've not the category of self leadership, while most of his, some of his books, you know, are, uh, he's very cognizant of how cultures are built. Communities are built, very cognizant of how communication takes place, marketing, but out of all the books that he's written, including the purple cow years ago, I would say linchpin is the one that falls directly under the category of self-leadership. And uh, that's probably why it stands out to me among the books that he's written. That one's been on my shelf for quite some time now. I need to need to go ahead and crack that bad boy open and give it a read. <laughs> yeah. What was one. your, Brent, what was your biggest misconception as a young leader? Like what was the thing that n- now that you know what you know of these past, you know, decade or so of being a leader, what... What is that? What was your biggest misconception? Uh, my biggest misconception was that experience is the best teacher. Um, hmm. One of my mentors, uh, an obvious mentor, guy I work with every day, Dr. Jay Strack, uh, sat me down, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, whenever it was. And, you know, it's like, hey, man, you're running like crazy. You're going to burn the candle at both ends and you're going to burn out. You, know, you got to be careful. And I, I remember telling him, well, I'm trying to 
get as many experiences as possible under my belt so I can t- continue to grow as a leader. And he said, well, experience isn't ever going to be your best teacher. Someone else's experience is your best teacher. So become a student of other people's experiences. Learn um, from what other people have experienced, uh, both the highs and the lows, the successes and the failures. So that was probably my biggest kind of misconception is that experience is not the best teacher. Someone else's experience is the best teacher. You know, for me, I've, I've always heard the quote. I, th- I think it's C.S. Lewis. I'm just going to throw his name yeah, on it. You, somebody else yeah. can fact check me on it. But basically saying when you when you read books, uh, you, you have your own kind of personal worldview, and that's the only life you get to experience. But when you read other books, you get to walk in a thousand other people's shoes. That's a good, and, yeah, that's a good word. And we'll say it's C.S. Lewis, right? <laughs> Who knows? But C.S. Lewis, yeah. No, absolutely not. But part of it is, and just as you're saying, Brent, I think part of the reason for this podcast was for us as leaders to learn from others, to say, Hey Brent, we want to learn from your experiences and what you've walked through. And, um, I I've heard somebody say like any conversation that you're in, bring an open notebook. So be writing down. This is what they went through. These were their experiences and always be a learner of others. So in the same way that you can read books to learn the same way as find someone that you look up to find uh, maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's somebody a few years ahead of you or in the job of head ahead of you. And just, just sit down and talk with them, ask them a few, few questions and, and learn from their experiences. So I really appreciate your answer on that. Well said, well said. I, I teach our students at SLU that you need three types of people in your life. Um, you need older people in your life. You need old people in your life and you need dead people in your life. That's good. That is really good. In other words, you need somebody that's just a chapter or two ahead of you in the story. Uh, You need someone who's at the end of their journey and looking back with a lot of wisdom and and discernment. And then you need someone who lived and died and left something behind. So you need you need old, older and dead people in your life. And so um, or older, old and dead people in your life. Sorry. Um, I love that. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Well, now, now that you are older, not old, not old old and not dead, but older (laughs) and hopefully more mature. I don't know where this is going, but it's, (laughs) but, but looking back on, on your, your younger self, what are some of the qualities you wish you had as a young leader that maybe you have now that you're kind of a little bit more experienced than down the road? Well, I don't know what in the name of Zeus that question implies, but I... Uh, AKA, uh, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> look at my life now in my youthfulness. Um, uh, now, I, you know, as I look back, uh, if, I could, if I could just kind of... There are two qualities I think I wish I would have cared more about. One was patience, right? I was always in a hurry, and I always felt the need to... to fill in the gap, fill in the blank, answer the question, get it done, get it done now. One minute, you know, Ken, Dr. Ken Blanchard, one minute manager, everything, which is not how he intended that principle to be lived out. But, <laughs> but that's unfortunately my misinterpretation of it. And then the second, uh, I guess you could say, um, quality I wish I would have cared more about was clarity. So patience, number one, clarity, number two. In other words, I wish I would have taken more time to think critically and deeply about subjects, about people, about questions, mm. about experiences, um, instead of always being in a hurry uh, to get to the next thing. And, you know, you know, we may die tomorrow or Jesus may come back. So we got to get as much done as possible. You know, that mentality. But if you're always running, it doesn't give you a lot of time to stop and think. 
So that that's a good one. That's a good word for me too, Brent. You and I are, I, I think, somewhat similar in personality type. I can't remember. We've talked about it before, but I I feel a constant need to to move to be in motion. Yeah, and uh, pretty it's pretty clear biblically. God speaks to us in the still and the quiet, and He wants us to slow down and Sabbath and listen to Him and rest and let His Spirit. Um, move in us to give us clarity and peace about different things or unrest about different things that we're trying to make decisions on or decide to do. So such a helpful reminder for really a lot of young leaders that are spending a lot of time hustling right now, which is not a bad thing at all. But if hustle is your idol, then it's going to it's gonna consume you and you're going to miss the peace about slowing down, resting, listening to the Lord, um, getting clarity and patience, like you were saying. That's right. Yeah, I think it's so easy. And I'm I'm glad that you brought up the clarity piece, Brent, because if we're always hustling and running, we ourselves do not have time to, to think about things deeply and to say, how can this be as clear as possible rather than just throwing it against the wall and hoping other people understand it? Because right. if we're running so fast, those behind us have to keep up, right? That's so right. I really appreciate that. Well, now let's move to the quick hitters here. These are going to be short one-minute answers. So the first one is this, Brent. What is your ideal daily routine? What time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Ah, uh, wow. Uh, wake up somewhere around 7, 7.30. Uh, not an early riser. Uh, I like to both exercise, spend some time in the Lord, drink a cup of coffee at some point along the way. Uh, if I could put three or four hours in our SLU offices, meeting with our team, uh, working on strategy, vision casting, and then work another few hours on content, whether that be a blog, a message, a, a chapter or part of a book or something, um, and then go home and play with my kids and see my wife and spend time with the family and, you know, watch something on the, on the t- TV at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a happy camper. <laughs> and then I guess just spend some one-on-one time with Baloo. We can't forget about him. <laughs> no, that's my, listen, that's my daughter's. I, I pay for blue. She cares for blue. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. What is your favorite personality test? Oh, well, I mean, you got to say Enneagram if you care to be relevant. But the truth is, I <laughs> I, I, uh, um, I do like the disc. Uh, I like its simplicity. I like, uh, um, so I'm a high I, uh, which is influence. And uh, m- my second highest is D, which stands for dominant. With Enneagram, my top three are two, seven, and three, two being helper, seven being enthusiast, and three being achiever. So I like both those, you know, I mean, they're all helpful. Uh, I think DISC is a good one because it's been around, you know, for a long time and it's kind of stood the test of time. Yeah, it has the test of time. What's, what is uh, an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? (laughs) Uh, This is where we all get to be a little weird, isn't it? Um, it's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, I listen to comedians, uh, before I write a, a leadership talk or a sermon. Huh. I think comedians are the, the best. I try to listen to not just leadership talks and not just sermons every week, but at least one or two stand up bits or portion of a stand up or an entire show. Comedians have mastered the art of pretending to think on your feet and, and that's what helps draw their audience in. You know, obviously laughter is contagious and that's incredibly important as well. But they they come across like they're thinking as they go, even though they've really, uh, you know, carefully thought through the vast majority of what comes out of their mouth on stage. So 
I listen to comedians. Uh, the second thing I do is I'll take an idea and then I'll just disappear into nature. You know, go for a walk, go for a run, go for a walk on our property. Um, and this is the third thing I do is I, I'm very intentional with the color schemes that I, 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 that are used in the decoration of our office and my home office. Um, you know, it's, I've read a lot of scientific studies that say blue and different shades of blue help, uh, you know, kind of spawn if you or spawns a bad word, help kind of, uh, be a catalyst to creative thinking. And so we use a lot of, you notice our, our colors and our, our SLU marketing is primarily a blue. Yeah. We use a lot yeah. of that in our office. And so I've got my whole office wall. I'm looking at it right now at my, at the SLU offices painted in this blue configuration of colors, which was, uh, is basically a ripoff of Twitter's home offices because this is, <laughs> they, they, you know, read those same studies and, and did this, you know, same thing. But yeah, so th- those are three weird things I do. Comedians, nature, and, and the color blue. <laughs> well, I'm uh, staring at a lot of eggshell. Yeah, it's a little off white. Maybe Dr. Ben Mandrell can take a listen to this and maybe spruce it up a little bit. Here. <laughs> yeah. right, hey, Brian, what color shirt are you wearing? Blue? N- uh, me? Yeah, are you wearing a blue shirt? No, I'm wearing a black shirt. I had to do a video shoot earlier today. And <laughs> black shirt. So. <laughs> do you watch, uh, do you watch, oh, it left me, comedians in cars getting coffee? Uh, I, I watch the clean ones. Yes. I only watch things that honor the Lord, Josh. That's my habit. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was just, yeah. You know, I, just, if you just no, listen to watch, John Chris, almost every episode of that series, I think it's brilliant. What Jerry said, that was, you, you were saying something that it really is interesting and caught me off guard a little bit, but they do so much prep and even the really well-known comedians, they go to just random small clubs and test all their, yeah. Um, all their material yeah. before they take it on like a big Netflix filming or something, some big show. It's such a great show, but interesting concept for they sure. I, I also And then they let other comedians critique their material. And so mm. there's a documentary that Jerry Seinfeld did years ago. I think it's just called Comedian. And it shows the process of how he, you know, kind of creates a, a stand-up show. But it was, like you said, I mean, he's up there with a, a, a legal pad with some of his jokes and, uh, you know, a, a music stand, but then he's also got invites a different comedian in early on in the process to listen to him different nights. And then they sit down and critique. I, it's, it's now here I am saying that documentary is probably something bad in it, but, but I learned a lot. Well, you've never watched it. No, it's fine. I just yeah. read the clip notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite app on your phone right now? Oh, um, well, while I travel, my favorite app is Relax Melodies because I spend a lot of nights in hotels and that drowns out the noise. But now that we're moving into football season, it's definitely got to be whoop. ESPN. I mean, you know, and then yeah. uh, Uber Eats would be number three. Oh, there you go. Is that a, do they deliver food? Yeah, bro. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if I've ever. I've, I've ordered it one time. Was it? It was, it was pretty nice. Good. Yeah, okay. it was great. Nice. Great. That's yeah. cool. Brent, who do you who do you root for in fo- college football? Oh, Georgia Bulldogs all the way, baby. Yeah. Ooh, mm. I'm, I'm a Tennessee fan, so we uh, we've lost you guys a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we can we can both root against Alabama, right? Oh yeah, I mean that and that orange that you guys have that's beautiful. And so whoever picked that out, that was a lovely shade. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was a good game in the uh, the last bowl game against Texas. I'm a Texas fan, so we had a. It was a good game, Brent. Josh is just bandwagon. He's just picking up any team. 
Chandler. <laughs> hey, moving on to the next question. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Okay. Now, just remember, the rules of the game are you don't have to agree with the author on everything he or she writes. But Noted. this book uh, really hit me between the eyes and really kind of was, was uh, one that caused me to stand still and evaluate my own life. Uh, but it's entitled The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And he is uh, uh, a gentleman that takes kind of a – Lecrae wrote the foreword for it, but he, it's a book that kind of sur- – it's a survey, uh, a historical survey of how the evangelical church in America has handled the issue of racism. And he really – I mean he's just skimming the surface the whole way, and he says that repeatedly. Like this is a historical survey, guys. And, but he speak, I mean I'm talking about from the American Revolution – on to current day. Um, and he deals with some really big issues that, that really forces, uh, uh, forces you to look not just inward, but to look outward at your immediate surroundings. Um, and it was just a, I just thought it was a powerful read. I I thought it was very, it was a very helpful, uh, contribution, um, to a very important ethical discussion. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Uh, learn to ask great questions would be, to me, the, the best piece of advice some, that I could give someone. But the best piece of advice I ever received was, uh, and he didn't tell it to me personally, it's not like we're BFFs, but I was sitting in uh, uh, church one Sunday and we used to attend North Point Community when we lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I remember when Andy Stanley said, at least first time I heard him say it from stage, uh, he said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Mm. So a lot of times in the leader, in, in leadership, we think, oh, big, and we want to make a big splash, and we want to, right? But what if we chose to aim small? Uh, what if we chose to do for just one person what we wish we could do for every person? What if we wanted to change the world, but we just chose to start by changing someone's world? And so I think that... As far as stuff I've learned, that I love what you know, Pastor Stanley says there, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. It's a great piece of advice right there. Well, Brent, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening to the podcast today. We hope it's been helpful to you in your leadership. And if it has been, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.